Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Inside Sources. You're here with Kate Clute and Scott Simpson, and we are doing our best to give some deep insights into Utah's political news. And we're still talking about the overruling of Roe v. Wade, and we are actually going to talk about now whether or not that's going to impact single-issue voters and have a substantial impact on the outcome of the election this fall. And one of the things that I think is really interesting is President Biden is calling on voters to support politicians who are pro-choice this November. And we talked with Congressman Curtis about this. He doesn't think that that's something that will happen even if more Democrats are elected. Scott, what are you thinking? Well, I, I do think that um, this is a gift. It's so, it's so hard to speak trivially about heavy issues, but from a pure, raw political perspective, Biden needed a distraction. He needed to change the channel, right, for everybody. And I think he got it today for time. I'm, uh, there is an eternity between now and November. It could have some impact on, I think, the, the amplitude could have some impact on some near-term primaries. I don't, I don't think. I think ours is too close for it to have any impact here. But maybe some primaries. But I, I, I don't see it. Okay. Well, after the Supreme Court overturned Roe, President Biden called on Americans to vote for politicians who will support making Roe v. Wade into law. And so, rather than me just summarize it, we're going to play you a little bit of what President Biden said. Elect more state leaders to protect this right at the local level. We need to restore the protections of Roe as law of the land. We need to elect officials who will do that. This fall, Roe is on the ballot. Did I do a good job summarizing? You, you did. <laughs> and, I, and I think, you know, again, the president is trying to pivot to the fall and make this carry to the fall. And, and it is a huge issue. And I suspect there will be races where it will be a defining factor. But I just, in the big picture, you know, sort of the 40,000-foot view, the control mm-hmm. of Congress, I just, I, I see whatever impact it has on one side of the aisle, it's going to have an equivalent impact on the other side of the aisle. And it, uh, it's just, I don't know that it, at the end of the day, changes the story. I think you make some really good points, especially as we talk about whether or not this is the one issue that will drive voters specifically. <laughs> And there was a guest on Inside Sources, Sarah Isger from The Dispatch and ABC News. She told us on this show earlier this month, probably not, and she'll explain why. Pro-choice sentiment is now the highest that Gallup has measured since 1995. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is relevant. Um, but to translate that into how people will vote this time is, of course, a leap because pro-choice, pro-life, these terms don't really necessarily mean much at all in terms of how people see what they want public policy to be. So Gallup asked some other questions that were great. Most people, the highest number of people, think that the Democrats have the better plan on abortion, for instance. But when you dig into those numbers, the people who newly identify as pro-choice, who have driven up that number from last year, are almost all Democrats. And the people who say that Democrats have the better plan for abortion, almost all Democrats. So that's the problem I hope that you see, which is if they were already voting for Democrats, then it's not going to do one of those two fundamental things. 
get someone to come out to vote who wasn't already voting. Democratic turnout was the highest it's ever been in 2018 and 2020. And it's not going to change someone from a Republican to a Democrat because they were already Democrats. I think Sarah has made some incredibly salient points about polling and whether or not identifying as pro-choice or pro-life actually impacts your voting behavior in just that very short clip. Yeah, it, absolutely. And, and it's the persuadable middle is mm-hmm. is narrow in on this issue, I think. I don't I don't know that there's the ability to tip voters one direction or another. It's just it's a narrow universe. Yeah, and I I know that in the past there have been polls that have asked questions like, you know, are you supportive of Roe v. Wade? And people have said yes. And then they will ask, well, are you supportive of restricting abortion to 15 weeks? And they will say yes. And those two things cannot both be true, right? right? You can't Absolutely. be supportive of Roe v. Wade and the 15 week. And so I think a lot of the times when we're, we're looking at these polls, sometimes people identify with these broad terms of pro-life or pro-choice. But then when you drill down into it, nothing that's happening at a national or a state level is enough to push them to vote for a person specifically because of this issue. That's true in general elections, but I think in primaries, it can have an impact, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the, those little nuances of ideology can have an impact in uh, in primaries. And and Sarah actually gives an example of this. Representative Henry Cuellar, uh, I believe in Texas, uh, was in a primary. He's a pro-life Democrat, and he just won. And, and th- this is just a simple example. The last pro-life Democrat in the House who's up for election was in Texas. He had a primary challenger who was pro-choice. And this election was just held so well after the Dobbs opinion. Voters there, as informed and outraged as they really are going to be, um, far more than compared to six months from now in November in terms of how much this is in the headlines. And voters, even in that race, even in a Democratic primary among Democratic voters, voted for the pro-life Democrats, showing either the issue isn't meaningful to Democrats or it's just a lot more nuanced for some Democrats than the issue polling would suggest. I am going to beat this drum all day long if it's the last thing I have to do. But of course, this issue is more nuanced than people think. Of course it is. Of course it is. Um, What do you think? Do you think this is going to have an impact on Utah's primaries? No. I mean, most of us have turned our ballots in, hopefully. Hopefully. Remember, we gave that pro tip on our show not too long ago. Yeah. That the sooner you get your ballot in, the... The, the, the less mail and text messages you receive. <laughs> yeah, the less bothered you will be uh, to turn out. Uh, yeah. So I I do think that an overwhelming majority of the ballots that are going to be cast are already already have been cast. Um, and again, uh, the persuadable middle, I think, is pretty narrow. It's interesting, though, I uh, and again, uh, because of the propensity of younger people not to vote in election. I don't know that this has any impact, but I wonder, there, there's a generation um, that ha- didn't live through the wake, the you know, the beginning and the immediate wake of Roe v. Wade when it was originally passed. I, I think from my generation, I was kind of raised in that and it was big and we, it was talked about a lot. And, you know, uh, my church had a, a position that I knew very clearly then, right? And and I, I had to wrestle with that. We had family conversations. I think in the last, because it's that was 50 years ago, beginning 50 years ago, I, I don't know that um, more recent generations have had enough dialogue around this to form opinions. And so they're they're quickly trying to figure out where they are as they gain this info. That's it's, it's an oversimplification, but it's just my observation in my own sort of periphery that s- some younger voters 
may not really know where they are on the issue at all. No, I think that's a good point. I think there are a lot of women my age who don't know what it's like to not be able to access contraception or abortion. So we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about what it takes to get an infrastructure project successfully completed. Do you know, Scott? I don't know. Um, I am... uh, I've tried to give input into infrastructure projects. I lived through... Well, you weren't here, but you probably, I'm sure in Vegas you went through the same thing. But, you know, I lived through the reconstruction of 215. Oh, I lived through the I-15 one in, I, down I mean, in Utah County. I-15. Yeah, no, oh, I yeah you just did here. the Lehigh, yeah. which the, second, was a nightmare. They, the yeah. second they completed something, they went on to, uh, you know, create another um, project on top of the project they just completed <laughs> down in Utah County. I know it's a big deal. Yeah, they kept telling us that they were ahead of schedule, but it was really hard to believe when the cones just kept popping up. Indeed. But next, we're going to talk to Eli Dorado from Utah State University. He had a fascinating piece on why we need to think differently when it comes to infrastructure. Here's what he had to say next. Next. 